Welcome to Chats with Susan Burrell, and that's me. I help strong, capable women who have pockets of self-doubt access their inner wisdom and clarify their own truth. Chats with Susan Burrell is where we have rich conversations about empowerment, radiating your brilliance out into the world, and loving yourself more than you ever have before. And who doesn't want that? So let's get started. So today I have an interesting guest joining me. I'm very excited to have her and have this conversation. Uh, we've been meaning to do this for quite a long time. Um, and at, the reason why I'm so excited, everybody, is because the work that she's involved in is, uh, actually I have chills just thinking about it. It is uh, serving a very necessary need in Ventura County. So I wanna welcome Mary Kerrigan. Mary, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so Mary is the program director for a, a venture, a nonprofit called Step Up Ventura. And this program serves uh, homeless kids uh, ages zero, wow, to five um, as a, a care facility, but daycare kind of thing, as well as a preschool. And, and what you guys are doing is really um, hoping and actually you're doing it, I guess, ensuring that these kids have a better start when they enter into kindergarten. Yes, uh, our, our focus is really kindergarten readiness. What we know is that homeless children often do not have the consistency of language development, uh, the consistency of learning numbers and letters and even names for objects because they live in a constantly changing environment. They live in environments where there aren't things to be named. Uh, like if you don't have a kitchen, you don't know what a fork is, you know, things wow. like that. Wow. So um, many homeless children, about 80% of homeless children go to kindergarten not ready, 10,000 words behind their peers. Uh, they don't know what uh, the words are. They don't understand what the teacher is asking them to do. They haven't had the consistency of being read um, every night uh, before you know, as a bedtime routine. And they often don't know the language about their feelings. They don't know how to say... I'm angry. I'm embarrassed. I'm shy. They don't know. They don't know what those words are to the feelings that they feel inside. So many times they act out their feelings. You know, and they may act out their feelings in aggression. They may act out their feelings in hiding underneath tables and refusing to come in from the playground or refusing to go use the restroom. Um, and because of that, homeless children when they enter kindergarten, often are seen as problem kids. They're often seen as, you know, seen as behavior problems instead of seen as children who really don't have the foundation of learning that it takes to be ready for kindergarten. And we know that 80% of the children, homeless children that enter kindergarten not ready, end up homeless as adults. Oh my gosh. Uh, they end up dropping out of school. Right. 
end up getting kicked out of school. Uh, they, they get disenfranchised very early. And we can understand that. How many of us like going someplace and feeling stupid? How many of us like going into um, some room and having people tell us things to do that we don't understand or asking us questions that we can't answer? Um, and so, you know, we understand why a little five-year-old doesn't like going to school if that's the way they feel all the yeah. time. They feel threatened. Um, and so uh, they often drop out of school. They, they don't like school and they don't know how to learn. Um, their brains have been programmed more on how to survive. And so many homeless children are stuck in that situation or environment that only makes survival the key. You know, am I going to get fed today? Am I going to have a place right. to today? Am I going to wake up in the same place as I fell asleep? Am I going to wake up to the same people as I fell asleep, you know, to? Oh my gosh, how scary. The unpredictability of their world gives them a layer of trauma mm -hmm. and fear and distrust of the adult world, um, even more so than children growing up in poverty, but growing up in stable homes. So, so let me ask you a question, Mary. How do these kids how do these kids find you guys? You know, are the parents dropping them off and then picking them up at the end of the day? Yes, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a good question. First off, many of the children who come to our program have lived in cars. Uh, they've lived in shelters. They've, they've lived in motels from week to week. They've lived on people's couches or they are living in a two-bedroom apartment with 20 people. Um, wow not knowing if they're going to be able to stay there or if they're going to be having to move on somewhere else. So homelessness isn't always n not having a roof over your head. Homelessness is not having a consistent known roof over your head. Right. So, um, you know, so some of the children are referred to us by um, parents and families living in shelters, living in transitional housing programs. Uh, some of them are parents who are living in cars and they've been parking in a church parking lot and the church, uh, people, you know, the church ministry refers them to our program. Um, our big uh, focus for the parents is that Parents who care about their children don't want to leave their young, vulnerable children, but just anyone. Uh, and so they tend to miss a lot of work uh, because they don't have consistent child care. Um, they don't have a preschool. And preschool is way too expensive for many, many people, and especially for people who are homeless, who are just trying to get enough money to survive on a very, very basic level. So... Our agreement with the parent is they need to be working full-time or they need to be uh, in school full-time or doing a combination of, you know, so they can progress to self-sufficiency and work on getting, you know, attaining stable housing for their family. We um, provide the childcare and the, or the access to childcare and preschool services seven o'clock in the morning till six o'clock in the evening, which allows parents to get back to work. Um, we've had several parents who had full-time jobs, but ended up being let go, not because they weren't doing a good job, but because they had to be home taking care of a child because someone who said they'd walk the, watch the child decided they didn't want to. Right. Um, and the other thing is that we really focus on the need for 
catching children up to their age group. You know, we have four-year-olds that come in and don't know how to hold a pencil, don't recognize letters, you know, and by kindergarten time, you know, in one year, they have to be able to write their name. They have to be able to say the alphabet. They have to be able to count, you know, and so we really encourage parents to not just think of this as childcare, but really essential preschool learning to be ready for kindergarten. Um, And so the parents go to work, and they have a safe nurturing place for the children to be and a place that's going to stimulate the brain, it's going to stimulate learning, it's going to stimulate social learning, social skills, as well as academic skills. So you mentioned earlier that not only the um, process of catching them up educationally, but also that there's behavioral um, things that you you guys are working with the kids so they can begin to say what they're feeling or express it in ways that are healthy. So can you give us an example of a child? Yes. And one of the ways we do this is that we have volunteers that work one-on-one with the child in the classroom setting. So, and I can give you a couple examples. One is a two-year-old came in to the program would bite any child that came within close proximity of the toys that they were playing with because this is the first time they'd ever had a chance to play with toys. Yeah. Years old and they wanted they wanted those toys, they wanted to keep those toys and they didn't want anyone touching their toys, you know, their toys. And so um so other little two-year-olds, other little 18-month-olds were very fascinated, you know, and they wanted to touch the toys also. And so he would bite. He would bite mm-hmm. Any child came close to him. So we had a, an adult volunteer that would sit very close to him and be able to help him through that social development of sharing, but also of being, you know, just being able to do something besides bite you know, maybe um, turn away or just put up a hand, you know, to show that, you know, they wanted some space. Um, and so that's on a very, that's on a very young level. When we have a four-year-old that doesn't want to share toys and is able to hit and punch and kick and throw toys, that becomes, you know, much more difficult. So we do one-on-one sessions with mm-hmm. children work on anger. We work on um, being able to recognize faces and facial expressions. We work on that feeling inside when your stomach gets tight, what that is, you know, is that mad or is that, you know, is that scared? Um, And what we find is that many of these children need a way to say how scared they are. Yeah. What is it? We're, you know, when we get angry, it's usually because we're scared about something. We're scared angry because we're scared that something's going to be taken away from us. We're angry because we're scared that someone doesn't understand us and, and, you know, thinks madly of us. I mean, whatever it is, you know, little children are just as um, scared as, as we are, you know, when, and, and it's easy to get angry when we're scared. So we really help children be able to feel that feeling inside and put words on it and be able to say, you know, how they're feeling instead of having to push or shove or kick or, or scream or yell. And so, so those one-on-one sessions are very helpful um, for, for the children, especially the older children that need, need to be able to process some of the trauma and the fears that, um, I have, a, I have a question. When the kids come to you, how verbal are they? Because uh, even though they can't read, are they verbal too? Um, some of them are, are behind in terms of language. We've had uh-huh. three kids come and really not be able to put two words together. 
you know, so that's very delayed. This doesn't have anything to do with the child's intelligence. It right. has with exposure and practice and so um so we have some children that are very delayed that way we have some children that are delayed in the sense of not being able to understand what's being told to them um, we do know with homeless children many of them hear what we call as directive speech sit down be quiet stop that don't do that behave or else, you know, that they hear, they hear that way of language being used. Mm-hmm. So they tend to use it, you know, right. with other people, which sounds, you know, when you use it with a preschool teacher, it sounds very disrespectful. You know, you, you know, make me, you can't, no, <laughs> you know, that sounds disrespectful. You know, so they, that's the kind of language they're usually hearing because that's the kind of situation they're in. They have distraught parents trying to tell them to be quiet because they're in a car and they don't want the police to find out that they're sleeping overnight in a car. You know, I mean, they're right. Why they're given directions. Well, that explains why uh, if it's not attended to uh, the, the language and all of that, the learning early, why homelessness can become a repetitive thing for. Right. That's right. Because they don't know how to navigate. Right. And the fear is just being passed down generationally then. Yes. So what, you know, we really look at is that kind of uh, lack of language development. So mm-hmm. we work with uh, children, um, you know, drawing a picture, scribbling or something, drawing a picture. Tell me about your picture. You know, what's the, what is your picture about? They don't even know what that is. Whereas most four-year-olds will say, oh, this is me playing on a slide, or this is me being a princess, or, you know, they're able to tell you all sorts of things um, about what they've, you know, put on paper. So it's, it's helping them be able to know how to converse, you know, how to com- use words to truly communicate ideas and um, negotiations like, I want to turn instead of just pushing the child off of the trike, you know, being able to say, can I have a turn? You know, it's, it's understanding how language is used to build relationships and negotiate the world, you know, instead of just fight the world. Right, right. And this is jam-packed, Mary. We're talking about Step Up Ventura in case you're just tuning in, but this is jam-packed. This is like, and it sounds like you have to have the patience of I don't even know who could be that patient. <laughs> Why well, I often say, you know, we we generally have to consider that we're melting an iceberg. You know, oh. so we with, with a hairdryer. You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> but we can't expect immediate results. Um, but we can expect that over time, you know, children coming every day and spending hours in a stable, predictable, consistent environment. Um, and not just the environment of what is there, things to play with and tasks to do, but a consistent environment of how they're treated and how they're talked to and how they're listened to. That over time, you know, they're able to see another way of behaving, another way of negotiating the world and another way of feeling about themselves. You know, homeless people and, and parents are, it's so hard for some, sometimes for them to engage in the help because they're so ashamed. They're yeah. so embarrassed. They're so, um, so fearful that people are going to see them as bad parents, that people are going to want to take their kids away, that people are going to want to criticize them or blame them or shame them. Yes. And so some of it also is for the parents to 
get used to the idea that they have a supportive environment. They have understanding um, uh, adults. You know, they have understanding teachers, understanding helpers. You know, understanding mental health support. That that's not you know that goes beyond you know their initial shame and embarrassment. You know? so, so this. Do you also offer some counseling for the parents? Yes, we do. We we help the parents in terms of their own uh, traumas mm -hmm. uh, that they've had. Um, if they're homeless, very good chance that they had very traumatic early childhoods. <laughs> so we you know we work with that. We also work with the parent and child. You know, if you look at it, you know, many of us have experienced uh, kind of the natural feelings of bonding and attachment that happen, you know, between a parent and a young child, you know, and um, whether it's your own child or another child, you know, that just that feeling of wanting to hold and cuddle a little baby, you know, wanting to show a two-year-old the, you know, excitement of a, you know, a slide or something like that. So many of us, um, you know, feel good about the relationships that we have formed with a, a young, you know, a young baby or a young person. Many homeless parents do not feel that. They are so anxious and so distraught and so stretched beyond their limit, just trying to figure out how to feed a crying baby. You know, how to find a safe place for your three-year-old who is whining and tired and exhausted, finding a place for them to sleep or getting them comfortable enough in the backseat of the car for them to fall asleep. So the relationship, the parent-child attachment is really stressed and sometimes the parent hasn't been able to be there. They've had to leave a child with someone else for a while. And so we work on parent-child bonding, parent-child attachment, you know, really um, repairing the damage that homelessness does to the parent-child relationship. Um, so we work on that as well with the parents. Oh my God. And you're not kidding that this, it's the tip of the iceberg kind of thing. As you've been talking, you know, I, I see that uh, Maslow py uh, pyramid, right? Of the hierarchy of needs and the baseline is survival. That's the base of, and so when you were saying pyramid, it's like, Oh my God, to stand there melting it with a hairdryer until you get down to that survival level so you can rebuild it, build up into having esteem and, and all that. That's a, that's a very daunting task. Yes, yes. And I think that that's why I respect the parents so much uh, because they haven't given up completely. Um, some of them are in recovery you know, to deal with their own anxiety and stress and confusion and trauma. You know, they've gotten maybe into drugs and alcohol not the majority of the parents, but some of the parents, and just their work on getting, you know, being able to manage everyday life without drugs and alcohol, and being able to be present for their children, and being able to be present for themselves, you know, who yeah. can be, you know, um, as uh, stronger people and stronger parents. So, so we really look at trauma as being something that needs to be understood, people have a chance to talk about um, and be able to um, resolve it. So right. it so it doesn't create a layer on everything in your life. You know, so to Mary, really let it. me ask you this. Do you think that the the seeing that their children are being cared for and are actually learning something, does that seem to have a ripple effect towards the parents in that um, if somebody can love my child, then maybe somebody can love me kind of thing. Does it? That is such a good, you know, question in that 
uh, so often people say, oh, it's so wonderful that you're helping homeless children. And it is. And I feel very strongly that it's essential that yeah. we help vulnerable, the most vulnerable um, people in our society. And that's young children um, who are really struggling for one reason or another. Um, but in terms of the parents, it's, I think there are times when they don't believe they deserve yeah. uh, messed up so much, you know, or they failed so much, or they've been told all their lives that they're not good enough, you know, and, um, and they question and doubt themselves a lot. And, and sometimes they come across as very defensive, you know, yeah. just because it feels so overwhelming to think that someone wants to be helpful, you know, someone wants to understand, you know, someone wants to help them get to that place where they feel good about themselves and what they're doing for their family. And even the parents who look successful, you know, the ones who've gotten the full-time jobs and have gotten into stable housing, they still often talk so much about how ashamed, you know, they feel that it ever happened, you know, that they ever ended up, you know, having homelessness happen to them and their children. And so you're right. Right. I mean, there's a lot of um, rebuilding for the parents of just their own self-esteem and their understanding. And, and I think that that's where it's very transformational work. You know, if you really look at it, you know, it's, it's spirit, you know, it's like what, what comes through, you know, what really um, do we have as human beings? And we really do have a very strong um, desire, drive to survive. But beyond that, we have a desire to belong. We have yes. to to, um, to master, you know, to achieve, you know, to, you know, to bring forth um, the goodness and our own creativity. That's, that's actually an innate drive. You know, it's yes. not to get the next meal, but it really is to, um, to create, you know, um, yes. something that, that responds and resonates with other people. You know, we have a, a drive to belong. And that's where I think um, the parents can really feel that shift. You know, they belong to a, um, a preschool community. They, you know, they belong to, you know, the parents who um, attend the parent workshop and the parent education, you know, uh, session that we might have, you know. Sure, it sounds like you're creating small circles of community so they can feel, even though they're transient right now, they can feel a connection that isn't at a job a place where they they have to perform, they can hopefully just be a little more of themselves. Get the, yeah, get the nurturance that they need, get the, stability, yeah. the, you know, the consistency that they need. Yeah. You know, so much you've been talking about, Mary, is, is uh, it, it, it's the work that I do within myself. It's the work that I do with clients because there's so many of us that, and I can't say it's everyone, but there are so many of us, and we don't have to be homeless to feel traumatized and worthless. And how do you move from feeling those feelings into feeling like you're worthy of someone's love or you're worthy of a better job or you're worthy of having more money? And so, and so it doesn't really matter in general if you're homeless or not. We all have these, it's not a human quality. I think it's a, it's a, it's a mental obstacle that we have to all work towards. And, um, and that, so that's a lot of the work that I do within myself. In fact, just recently, um, because those pockets of, um, self doubt, am I good enough 
crop up at the oddest moments. Am I capable of handling this big adventure or this big uh, goal that I've set for myself? Yes. And I, you know, I think that's such a good point. You know, so often it's easy for us to live in this very um, kind of uh, black and white world, you know, mm-hmm. they're homeless, I'm not, we're different. You know, <laughs> the fact is, um, the fact is, Many of us, well, I, I believe all of us have experienced something in our younger years that has um, impact on how we feel and think about ourselves. And it could be anything from our physical appearance to our, you know, our academic um, performance to uh, just the neighborhood we live in or the, um, the race or ethnicity we come yep. from. Yep. So I think we all have pockets of vulnerability and that's where, you know, we, we really are, you know, we we're working with homeless families, but it also, but we also are working on ourselves, right? You know, on ourselves, you know, where do we um, create community for ourselves? Where do we um, have the discipline to do self-care, you know, and, and the belief that we should, you know, and, and can, and that it's good for everyone. You know, if I take good care of myself, you know, it's like with the parents, you have to take good care of yourself so you can take care of your child. You know, it's the same thing. I have to take good care of myself, you know, so I can take care of, you know, my work. It's and- so amazing to me how reflective the universe is in any kind of microcosm, you know, what you're just describing, because it's, it is true for everybody. And when we can um, step back and see that we aren't different, and this is a thing, you know, I know lots of people have to work on this. We all have to work on this. You know, it, it, the, the whole black and white thing we're just talking about. And when we can step back enough so, to see that I am not that different from that person over there or on the street or, you know, because we're, we're all connected. We're all one. And you know, one of the things that that really touched me um, last uh, during the holiday season last year, our families put in requests. There was a church um, mm-hmm. center for spiritual living that uh, that adopted um, our families and asked for what you know what each family wanted, you know, a present for each person in the family. And so, you know, I asked, I asked the families, you know, what they wanted and, um, and some of the, the donating people came to me and said, I I can't believe it. She just wanted, you know, shampoo. Yeah. You know, that's what she wanted for Christmas. Yeah. I said, yes, yes, because that would be just a really nice little luxury for her. Mm -hmm. So it really gives us perspective. You know, this is such an abundant universe. And sometimes I think, oh, maybe I don't have enough money or, oh, I don't, you know, I'm, um, you know, I should have more of something. And then I, you know, I look at what some families live with and what some families feel as abundant or see as abundant. And I just, it gives me, it gives me perspective. Yeah. It gives me perspective on what, you know, what is valuable. You know, and and the shampoo and and the hair conditioner, I know was not even as important to this mom as the fact that someone put it in a beautiful wrapping. You know, it made it really special, and that that she felt cared about. Yes, yes, it, and that's what how we're all so similar. We yes. all cared about. Yes, 
And, and it doesn't matter that it's necessarily from a stranger. Um, in fact, the strangers can be the people that show care more. Sometimes. Right? Sometimes. Yeah. So, um, so Mary, how do people, uh, if people want to um, volunteer at Step Up Ventura or um, donate, how do they do that? So uh, we have a website, www.stepupventura.org. It's pretty easy. Um, just all, all one, you know, no spaces, stepupventura.org. And on that, you get information about events that are happening, um, how you can donate. There's a page for volunteers and how you can fill out an application. And uh, we do have a volunteer coordinator that, that follows up on all the applications. And it doesn't have to be an online application. Um, you can print it out and send it in by mail. Uh, and we we need volunteers to do all sorts of things, behind the scenes kind of work um, that helps uh, us stay, you know, in communication with the, you know, with the um, community and that's right. And then we also need volunteers to be in the classroom and helping with the children. So, and what about supplies? Do you guys need supplies? Uh, right now, we don't need anything. People have, um, there have been different organizations that have been, uh, you know, have given diapers at times and things like that. Right now, we're, we're in, um, we're good shape right now. Um, we, we do need um, money for our child scholarship fund. You know, preschool is expensive. Mm -hmm. And so we do have a, um, a scholarship fund that goes directly for, you know, paying for the child to have a preschool slot or a child care slot. And that can be done online as well. It can be designated. So um, I think the one of the best ways that people can help us is to tell someone else about Step Up Ventura. Um, whether they want to give a donation or they want to donate time or they want to donate things, you know, whatever. The most important thing for me is that people understand how essential preschool education is and how important making a difference in a young child's life, how it makes a difference in their life and how it makes a difference in the community. You know, that really intervening at this age and stage really makes a difference for all of us. So tell a friend, you know, yes. that would that also a wonderful thing to do for us is to tell a friend, um, but come, you know, go to the website, uh, attend one of our events, you know, find out more about us. And you guys also have a Facebook page too. So people could go there and share that with their Facebook groups. Facebook and we have Twitter and we also do have an email list. So if you want to be on the email list to get, you know, a quarterly newsletter or, you know, some, you know, some, um, uh, announcement about something, we can put you on the email list and just mm -hmm. keep informed. Mm -hmm. Mary Kerrigan, thank you for joining me today. We've been talking about this amazing program called Step Up Ventura. And, um, and even if you don't live in Ventura and you're listening to this podcast, perhaps it might inspire you to create something like Step Up Ventura in your community. And, um, and because this is already up and running, you've got a great model to follow if you are so inspired to do that. Um, I think... Just go ahead. Our mission is to serve Ventura County not just the city. So mm -hmm. we are moving into Simi Valley and Oxnard and Great. love to hear from other places in Ventura County that would be interested. In awesome. Awesome. So I just want everybody to know that um, it, 
like we were just sharing earlier, you don't have to be homeless to feel unworthy of having an amazing life. And, um, and it's just remarkable how spirit works, Mary, because I have a book coming out in, in it's now it's looking like September. It's called Live an Empowered Life, a 30-day journey. And the book is a journey from worthlessness to worthiness. Wow. And um, it, it, because it's a process that I did, lived and did myself. And um, so I want everybody to know about it. It's coming. It's coming. And I, there will eventually on my website, susanburrell.com, be uh, a page you can click through to pre-order the book. Um, it, that should be up probably next week. So I invite everybody to go and start ordering the book. And then um, when it comes out, there will be book studies that um, I will be facilitating so that um, everybody can get the most out of the, the journey to live an empowered life. And Mary, you are, it's going to make me cry. Wow. Um, you are the beginning and the impetus for a journey into worthiness. By doing what you're doing with Step Up Venture, I am deeply grateful that you're doing this work on behalf of everyone, not just the children and the families, but those of us who are not homeless. This is, it, it's huge work, Mary. I really say thank you from the bottom of my heart that you do this. And now I'm just going to sign off <laughs> with tears. So I just want to conclude by saying, and so it is, namaste. Well, that wraps up our chat for today. Thanks for joining me. And if you want to learn more, go to susanburrell.com. You can contact me through the website. There's blogs for you to read. There are videos to watch. And remember, I am an intuitive healer and spiritual guide at the crossroads of life. And I would be more than honored to help you on your journey to live an empowered life. And so it is. Namaste. Namaste.